Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we break down the possibility of war with China, whether it will happen and why. Hello, everyone. My name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa DiGrazia. And welcome back to a new year of Australia Explained. <laughs> it's our new year. It's not the actual new year, but no, it's, it's our new year. it's our new year, yes. It's our new year. Um, I'd like to start by acknowledging that I'm recording this podcast on the lands of the Antikorinja people, um, and I pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And as per usual, I'm still in Wurundjeri land down in Melbourne. Um, and we always love to pay respect to the specific country that we're on. We think it's really important to acknowledge and learn about the country that we're on and some of the certain rituals and practices that they did. Yes, exactly. Now, getting to today's episode, we decided to do this episode after Tanya watched a 60 Minutes about Australia and China and had a lot to say about it and said, we have to do this episode, we have to do this episode. Yes, this ep- this episode is very heavily inspired by that night. I think it was a Monday night a couple of weeks ago, and a few of our listeners may have also tuned in to this 60 Minutes roundtable investigation about war with China. And I remember it so vividly because it was the same day that the trade protests were happening in Melbourne. So the media cycle was already very heavy and overwhelming, And I was ready to clock off for the day. I was ready to put away my phone, tune out of the news and not care about it because it was making me quite anxious. And then I finished dinner and the 60 minutes investigation comes on about war with China. And I literally got up, turned it off and said, that's enough news for today. I do not need to hear about (laughs) the possibility of war with China. That is the last thing I need to hear about. But I did end up watching it. Um, a few days later. And it was a very good discussion because they had experts in different fields and experts who had varying opinions as well, which we love. And they had a bit of back and forth as to whether war with China was actually a possibility. And we did do an episode on this previously called Australia and China's Rough Patch. And that episode discussed the general history of China, the issues between us in terms of trade barriers and spies and a whole bunch of things. Um, We talked about human rights abuses in Xinjiang as well. So if you haven't listened to that one, I would suggest that you go um, first if you don't know too much about China, because we do go through some of the basics that will prepare you for this episode. Um, and if you don't know these basics, you might get a little bit lost of, you know, what's the history of China? Why is China like this, etc. Yeah. So definitely go and listen to that one. That's like a prequel. Because in this episode, we discuss what has changed since and some of the new developments that have occurred. Because it's fair to say Australia and China have been in the headlines quite a bit recently. And that's because world politics is never about individual countries. It's about the relationships between countries and the web of relations that we have. So whilst Australia is involved, it also concerns our relationships with other countries outside China. Um, So we'll break all of that down for you in this episode. Okay, pretty overarching question here. What is currently happening with China? 
So we'll start with the biggest thing going on with Chinese politics at the moment, and that's their relationship with Taiwan. So Taiwan, most Australians probably know it as a separate country. You know, there's China and there's Taiwan. But China and Taiwan, they have a really interesting history, which I don't have time to go into completely. But all you need to know is that China actually legally owns Taiwan. Taiwan is a part of China. Now, some countries recognize Taiwan as its own country. Some countries don't. It's all highly, highly political. But pretty much Taiwan has its own government and China does not recognize it at all. They just pretend that it doesn't exist because they say no. Taiwan is ours. They don't have their own government. (laughs) That doesn't exist. Um, So there's always been a threat of invasion for China to invade Taiwan and really take back what they think is theirs. Um, But it is building now because China is showing that it wants to cement its power. Yeah. And so how it's how China is showing that it wants to cement its power is that they're currently flying jets into Taiwan's air defence zone. So a protected zone that is meant to be free of any military intervention. China's like, nope, we're going to fly straight through it um, and threaten you a little bit. And so Taiwan, who is actually one of our very close neighbours, reached out to the Australian government to ask for any security and intelligence information that they had on China, if they knew any of their motives or what they were aiming to do flying in the air defence zone. Australia hasn't made an explicit position here as to what it wants to do and how it wants to help Taiwan, but it has discussed with the United States what would happen if Taiwan were to be invaded. And China does always get upset when other countries um, interact with their... For example, there's Taiwan that China believes that it owns. Um, There's also Tibet, which most people know as the home of the Dalai Lama and Buddhism. And for example, um, when world leaders meet with the Dalai Lama, China usually gets upset and will make a statement about those leaders saying that they are defying Chinese power. So China doesn't like to see Australia and Taiwan have a good relationship in any sense. Moving on from Taiwan, there are also really big problems in the South China Sea. Now, this isn't a new issue at all. I remember learning this in high school mm-hmm. in great detail, um, but it's one that's just been slowly building and building for years now. Um, this sea is in between Vietnam and the Philippines. So it's like this area of Southeast Asia and trillions of dollars in trade pass through it every single day, um, which (laughs) you might be able to guess makes them pretty important. Um, There are areas of the sea that certain countries have territory over, but China is trying really hard to expand this territory. So they're trying to expand their territory in these really, really valuable seas that have a lot of trade pass through them. In 2014, they actually dredged up a whole bunch of this sea and built islands. So they built fake islands in the sea and they promised not to put any military on them, but they quickly broke that promise. Talk about asserting your dominance there and just putting yourself (laughs) somewhere where you're clearly not welcome um, by building a whole island. And Look, all countries do lots of military exercises in the area and it's quite literally a case of flexing your muscles and flexing all the power that you have. So what we're currently seeing with the countries in the area um, is that they're all 
in an arms race. And what I mean by an arms race is that they're all competing against each other to develop the best sort of weapons and defense mechanisms that they have, which lends us into the nuclear submarines, which we'll discuss a little bit later. But it is very reminiscent of the Cold War. And we talk about the Cold War a lot on this podcast, but here particularly because it quite literally is a case of countries showing off their weapons, but not necessarily being willing to use them. And we link that back to an idea called mutually assured destruction, um, sort of surfaced after the after the United States dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. And this rise of nuclear weapon and nuclear defence meant that countries and populations of people could be wiped out instantly. It was assured destruction. So when you have countries developing lots and lots of nuclear weapons, they threaten each other with this assured destruction and they say, well, you know, I've got nuclear weapons and atomic bombs. I can kill you all as easily as you can kill me. So what ends up happening is that there's a little bit of a face-off between these countries, but they don't actually use the weapons because they both know the extent of what could happen when they do use the weapons. So best case scenario is that there's a bit of a, you know, standoff, a bit of words exchanged, maybe a bit of proxy wars that happen, but we're hoping that we never see these nuclear weapons come into use because we know the damage that they could do. But we still have governments spending a lot of money on building weapons to make sure that all the countries stay even. Because if somebody's left behind, then someone might be able to destroy them more than they can destroy another country. And it just just turns into a whole mess, basically. Some of you might be wondering, where does Australia come into all of this? Well, our typical political answer is that it's very, (laughs) very complicated. I feel like that's a politician's answer, but it's true. Australia's position in this is very complicated. Uh, We have to understand that Australia went from from being quite a small country in world politics, not one of the leading superpowers, to all of a sudden being quite a pivotal player in this region over the past few months. And Scott Morrison is really making a name for himself, flying across the world, um, making deals with different Indo-Pacific leaders, European leaders as well, and choosing not to attend certain conferences whilst attending others. Um, You know, we all know that ScoMo's position on the Glasgow Climate Conference is still up in the air. But anyway, he is drawing attention to himself and also the activity of the Australian government and what they're trying to do. Yeah, even researching for this, I was scrolling through Al Jazeera because that's a really great um, international news source. And we were mentioned in so many of the stories about the South China Sea and Chinese politics, which we're really in the middle middle of it, um, which is strange because we are not usually a politically important country. And this isn't necessarily a story just between Australia and China. It's really a story between the US and China. As we said earlier, it's a bit of a proxy war. And we are seen as at the forefront of this tension between the US and China because, you know, geography. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a simple concept, but geography really, really mm. matters even in today's world. We're close. We're in the Pacific region. Um, and since Biden came into power, Australia has worked really hard to make itself 
clearly a US ally in the region. Yeah, and this, a bit off topic here, but this sort of reminds me of World War II in the sense that Australia was so scared about its position in the world because um, they were very weary of how China could spread its influence down South Southeast Asia into Australia and almost, you know, influencing Darwin. Um, so Australia is quite concerned about how easily it could be impacted by some of China's, China's decisions. And so we do reach out to the US for help. And there's a lot of rhetoric about our war with China or a showdown with China. But let's be very clear, Australia is not capable of fighting a full-scale military intervention war on its own. We're talking armies, <laughs> battles, land conflict. It doesn't seem probable. China has one billion people. That I don't know how many soldiers China has, but I know that it's a lot more than Australia's and they have nuclear weapons and they have a lot more money. So yes, we can definitely not fight a war on our own. Yeah, and their defence spending is a lot higher than ours as well per capita. Um, so we definitely don't have the resources to just enter battle with them. Hence why we love to flex our weapons but not actually engage in conflict because we know the consequences of that. So that's why we have upped our military capability and, you know, flexing what we've got and making deals with some other countries. So you may have heard recently that we made a deal with um, the US and the UK to buy nuclear submarines. And we ended up having a huge falling out with France over it. So it is affecting our other relationships in the world. Um, since then, there has been there have been discussions about delaying trade promises with Australia and um, the European Union really stepping away from any negotiations that are currently on the table. But we have to ask why the United States and the United Kingdom would sell these submarines to us. And it always comes down to the benefits of this and what they're seeking to gain, which is clearly some sort of entry into the Pacific and also um, influence in the area. Yeah, the buying of the nuclear submarines is a definite change because um, Australian leaders have always said that we can't have nuclear submarines, that it's against um, our military pacts and et cetera, and now we're buying them. So it's a big difference. And yeah, there's definitely a reason that the US and the UK are selling them off. Um, they get a lot of benefits from being our ally. New Zealand has said that these submarines will not be able to enter their waters because they are strictly non-nuclear, something that... We kind of used to be, but apparently not anymore. <laughs> um, and our military strategy generally is essentially to be defended by the US. So we let them have a huge base in Darwin. They have bases all over the country, but their main base is in Darwin. And they promise to protect us and give us technology. So they benefit from this hugely. They get this base in the Asia Pacific, mm-hmm. which is a really big vantage point for them. And something that's interesting that I found out recently when I was in Darwin is, so the port of Darwin has just been sold to the Chinese. So the main port, the waterfront, where all the ships come in, etc. And this port is located right next to the biggest US military base <laughs> in the Pacific. And I just found that so curious because if war does break out, that place is going to be a very interesting spot for politics to come together. Do you reckon they did that on purpose? 
I'm not sure, but I don't know what the decisions for the Australian government to sell that port to China would be. Mm. Um, Knowing the implications of what's next door. Yeah, I might do a bit more research into that because it just seems like an odd decision. But back to the submarines, sorry for the tangent. This treaty with the US and the UK to buy these submarines really cements our position in world politics. You know, we are grouped with these countries. We're allies. We're in like their table in the cafeteria if we're going to picture like mean girls yeah (laughs) and world politics are honestly like a high school hierarchy like people stick together and there's the strong players and the weak players and you know it's the mean girls that's that's what world politics is and us buying the submarines is kind of like katie having the party you know like we're one of them now yeah we're all included So we discussed this in our last episode, but I think we need an update. What's happening with trade between us? Yeah, so last time we touched on this, our trade relations with China were quite tense. Um, In our rough patch episode, we discussed some changes in taxes and tariffs um, for importing and exporting things uh, to and from China. And at this point, it was quite low-key. It wasn't as serious. Beijing said that Australia was overreacting, thinking that it was some sort of punishment. But since then, that position from Beijing has changed. Um, The Chinese government is now being very open about the fact that they are punishing us because of, you know, the whole starting to build military pressure against them with America deal. So it definitely has escalated from just a bit of friendly fire, maybe a bit of a warning, to full-scale punishment and a bit harsher conditions. Yeah, and this is a direct quote from the Chinese government, which I think is pretty harsh. We will not allow any country to reap benefits from doing business with China while groundlessly accusing and smearing China and undermining China's core interests based on ideology. (laughs) Whoa. That's a burn. (laughs) China actually suggested that American farmers were the big winner from these tariffs on Australian goods, um, kind of inferring that Australia is stupid and helping the US even though the US is only looking for their own gain. Yeah, that we were roped into this with the US without realising what they actually wanted to achieve. Um, Exactly. At the moment, though, China isn't touching or hasn't really done anything in terms of our iron ore exports, which is where most of our national revenue comes from. Um, And they need our iron ore for development in their economy. But best believe they'll probably be looking somewhere else to get it. And if they do, Australia is in big trouble. Yeah, it's quite funny that they're having this front that they're stopping trade with Australia, but they are still buying up so many of our goods and they're pretty much keeping our locked down economy going for the whole year. So it's a bit of a paradox. Um, We also can't ignore that our relationship with China will always be deep and beyond this world politics diplomacy kind of frame, it's really about the Chinese diaspora in Australia. Yeah, and... It's important to remember that Australia was one of the first countries to open itself to China towards the end of the Cold War in the 70s. Um, And it was during a time where countries were scared to be seen as communist or being friendly with communists. 
and all of a sudden you see Australian prime ministers making efforts to visit Beijing and build diplomatic relationships. It's one of our oldest, strongest, and perhaps one of our most important worldwide relationships, to say the least, because we are so concerned um, in terms of trade, um, the economy, and also just, you know, geographic politics as well. I actually, this is a bit of a random fact, but I just remembered I read this the other day, that in the Northern Territory in the 50s, the biggest ethnic group was the Aboriginal people, and the second was Chinese Australians, Mm. above Anglo-Saxon Australians. And that just shows, like, the endemic... Um, influence and impact that the Chinese diaspora has had and will have probably forever in Australia. So we talk about these policies, but in the end, the people that really fill them are businesses that trade between the countries and the people that move between them. All right, and now it's time for our recommendations. So Vanessa, what have you got for me today? This is a total recycle from our last China episode, but I would still really, really recommend. I love recommending um, international news websites or channels because, as we always say, you should be broadening your views as much as you can. So mine is China Daily, which is an English-language um, Chinese news site. Um, it's a really popular one, so it's got articles about Chinese news, worldwide news, etc. And it's just good to look at articles from a different perspective, especially from a Chinese perspective, which, um, as we're aware, is quite different from the Australian one in terms of their political framework. So we'd check that one out. Yeah, and it'd also be interesting to see how Australia is perceived um, and, and what kind of things Chinese headlines are focusing on. So definitely check that one out. My recommendation this week is a podcast by the ABC called China, if you're listening. Um, I really love ABC podcasts. They do really good narrative storytelling. And China, if you're listening, focuses on the history of our relationship with China and also how the current government under Xi Jinping has formed. Um, So it looks at a whole different factors and it There are a bunch of different guest speakers, um, including Kevin Rudd, Malcolm Turnbull. We hear a little bit from Hillary Clinton, um, and they really help to bring together all these pieces of China's history and current political status. So I would definitely get onto that one. It's a great podcast. All right, and that's it from us today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you think. We're always interested to hear your thoughts. In the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram at Australia Explained Pod. Remember to like, subscribe, follow all of the verbs that you can do on your podcast streamer. Leave a rating, share with your friends. Every single thing possible. (laughs) Um, All the info that we've talked about today as well as our recommendations are in the show notes for you to check out. See you in two weeks' time, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.